Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change power and success in the world. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. What would life be if we had no courage to attempt anything? Is a quote from the great Dutch painter Vincent van Gogh. I thought this was an appropriate quote for our guest today. Not only does she have the artistic flair and shades of red, but like Vincent, had the courage to create her own canvas. She started a brand and a business which aims to serve and experience every second somewhere on earth by 2030. Our guest is Naomi Simpson, founder of the leading online experience retailer Red Balloon and co-founder of the Big Red Group. She is also a member of the University of Melbourne's Faculty of Business and Economics Board and a governor of the Research Foundation of the Cerebral Palsy Alliance. Naomi is the author of the best-selling books, Live What You Love and Ready to Soar, and one of the sharks in the television program, Shark Tank Australia. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite, world-class performing men and women, and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blend & Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In this episode... The energy and passion of the entrepreneur resonates to all, as Naomi, in this very open conversation, shares her story, from the frustrations of corporate life to becoming a household name and a regular on TV. We learn what it really takes to succeed. We discuss the challenges of today and never wasting a good crisis, how her team delivered $850 million of economic value to the community just last year, and the importance of trust, reputation, and leaving footprints that matter in making the world a better place. Finally, we touch on the importance of mums and hear of Naomi's optimistic outlook for Australia and how we can engage as one community so the spirit of entrepreneurship lives on. So sit back and enjoy Challenge to Greatness. Naomi, welcome to the show. Oh, lovely to be here. Where do I start? Speaker, author, blogger, entrepreneur, innovator and influencer. Hard to know where to start with someone like yourself, but I believe you grew up wanting to be an artist. What made you pursue a career in the arts? I uh, did want to be an artist. In fact, I'm working on my collection right now and I'm going to have my first exhibition after lockdown. So I've got no excuses for not producing lots of work. Um, So maybe this dream as a young child is finally going to come to fruition. So it just goes to show, you know, you don't have to achieve everything in the first two minutes of life. Um, but we'll see how we go. So, yeah, I'm going to have an exhibition after all of this lockdown. And what's the um, the area of specialty? Um, I see colours in the bush and in the Australian outback and out the window, and I just love the colours of Australia. So that's what inspires me. I get lost in my colours. I literally have no idea the time, the space or where I am, and uh, my husband just says, oh, there she goes, she'll be back maybe today, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> So, and it's only if I get really thirsty or hungry do I come out of my studio. So that's my that's my absolute pleasure and um, happy place. And it does, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's really nice to have a creative space. We all have creativity, just some of us don't. Uh, we choose to tell ourselves not to use it. Well, I'll ask a cheeky question. So there's more colours in your life than red. Oh, yes. In fact, you know that red's not my favourite colour, don't you? No, I don't. Oh, yeah. Uh, my favourite colour is yellow. Always has been, always will be. But uh, yellow balloon, you know, Red Balloon was named after that 1956 movie that won an Oscar award called The Red Balloon. And it's about a little boy who goes on all these adventures and uh, his best friend is a red balloon and then the bullies get it and they pop it and it's very sad. Uh, and then balloons come from all over Paris 
and he collects them and goes on an amazing adventure. And I always thought I wanted people to see any red balloon and smile and think about the first red balloon experience they gave or that they were given. So, no, there's quite... There's quite a story. There is literally an award-winning story behind Red Balloon's name. Okay. Well, before we get to that, you um, you had a career in the big corporate end of town, IBM, KPMG, Ansett Airlines, Ansett. and Apple. today. And Apple as well. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> what, did, what did you learn from all those and why did ultimately did you say I'm breaking free? Look, I'm really glad I had a corporate career before I um, started my own show because I learned both what I was great at but also what I was innately not great at. I worked with some incredible managers and leaders and I also worked with some really uh, not-so-good ones. And it helped formulate my ideas about workplaces, about the places that I wanted to work in. Uh, To give you an example of that, I worked at ANSET last century and the person at the, who was the general manager at the time would walk through an airport and never look at anybody in the eyes, never his employees, he wouldn't engage, he just walked through the airport. And I always thought that was really strange and odd. And it wasn't until years and years later that I actually understood it. I thought he was just, I don't know, not, not nice really. And I just couldn't understand it when people would get up so early in the morning to get those aircraft off. And it was a different time. But what I didn't understand was it was probably fear that was stopping him from engaging with employees. And I didn't understand that at the time. And the fear came from how many unions were involved with the airline, like there was 11 or 13 or something, a lot of unions, and he never knew what would be taken out of context if he engaged with the front line and what might end up as part of a union discussion. I just didn't understand that. I was like, can't we all just be nice to each other? So, you know, with hindsight, we can also get things in context. And what was the genesis That's then? paint on my arm from painting. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm I can see different colour than red. <laughs> um, Naomi, uh, so you have this corporate career and it seems to be going along pretty well, um, but then why leave? Um, there was a few re- I was I was frustrated in corporate life because I was always an agitator for change and I was like, okay. well, why do we do it this way? Um, and so after three years of ANSET where I just couldn't get anything done and there had been a pilot's dispute and there was, and I just wondered why. I always thought that we were in business to serve our customers mm-hmm. and I didn't understand many of the decisions that were being made. And then when I went to Apple, it was a completely different experience and it was a completely customer focused, but I happened to work for Apple when Steve Jobs didn't. And that was before he came back and invented the iMac and so forth. So it's a very long time ago. But if there was one thing that I learned from working at Apple, it was about this real entrepreneurial spirit and focus on purpose of why we're in business at all. And that was really enlightening for me. But even in those days, I also found it kind of frustrating. And I had a baby, a very cute little thing. She looked really nice. I thought I'd spend a bit more time with her. And I was sick of kind of getting in the car and feeling frustrated at work. And I think it's no different now. When when we make a choice about where we spend our most precious asset with our time, our work better be worthwhile yeah, because you, you might be giving up something too. And so I just, I didn't want to give up my career, but I wanted to work in a different sort of way. And in those days we didn't have things like flexible work or even being able to work from home. Aha, uh-huh. well, look at us now. And so it was not, I, I had no choice. If I wanted to see my children um, and I would put them to bed pretty early, uh, then I needed to do something different. And that's when I started my own business so I could get a lifestyle and hang out with my kids. What about the old thing, um, security? There's a big mind uh, shift there. Financial security was kind of different in those days in the sense of, uh, look, I also just put it down to the fact that if it didn't work out, and I spent $25,000 of my family savings, everyone knows that story, but if it didn't work out, I just put it down to maternity leave and then go and get another job. I mean, um, and so, and I was also a freelance marketer, which actually earned pretty good money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did find that really frustrating because I would do great marketing plans having well, I thought they were fabulous, after being a corporate marketer for all those years. But what I found was when I was working with my clients, I would do these 
marketing plans with 58 different action items over a period of three years and this is all the things you need to do. And they would treat it like a shopping list and that yeah, would right. drive me spare because yep. I'm like, if you want to build a brand, a relationship, essence, trust, it's a long-term activity. And all they saw was how much it was costing, not what it was delivering in terms of the shift in their brand essence or emotional connection and all these things. And they just thought, really, whatever. But what I did know is that they would pay for customers. Right. And so if you think about Red Balloon, Mm -hmm. we're a marketing company. Always have been, always will be. Yep. And I just flipped the agency model. So... You know, when we started, we have 50 experienced suppliers, many who are still with us. And now we represent 2,000 small businesses. We gave them a brand and then we give access to corporate Australia to give experiences and support Australian small business. So as an aggregator, as a marketplace, our job is to find customers And I get just the most beautiful stories from these small businesses because they don't pay a cent to us unless we find them a customer. Is that right? And we know that if a customer spends 100 bucks with us, they're going to spend $300 with that supplier on average by the time they've bought another ticket or added the drink and the souvenir and the this, that and the other thing. So our little clip of the ticket is very inexpensive compared to these small businesses trying to understand how Google works, how Facebook works, how digital technology works. And I know that literally many of our small businesses that we represent just say, you do the marketing piece and I will be the world's best paddleboarder, hot air balloonist, whatever, because they are world experts at that, like literally world experts, and we're pretty good on the marketing front. So we're a marketing company. Our job is to deliver customers and audiences. And last year we sent 600,000 customers to those 2,000 small businesses in Australia. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty – it's why I keep doing what I do. You've created this wonderful platform, as you say, and created this whole experience. When you set out on your journey, how much did you actually know about the internet? Zero. Um, you know, nobody, this was the early days of the internet, 2001. It's before social media, before digital photography, before people were buying online. They used to fill fax forms in and send them to them so that we could process payments. So where did the idea come from? Um, there was a business in the UK called Red Letter Days, and that was a catalogue and call centre business. I remember that, yeah. And um, people would buy from the catalogue then, they call up the call centre and then they book them in. And that seemed like a really nice idea, except one thing is we are in a really large country with a very small population. And secondly, the moment you print a catalogue, it's out of date. So I thought it was prime idea for an internet um, application. So I just said, yeah, you know, this is really... Yeah, this is perfect for the internet. I didn't realise how ahead of the time I was. Had no idea. Creating market a marketplace for a sector that didn't have any voice and we gave that industry a voice in its aggregation and we gave it a brand. And how pessimistic or, I guess, uh, conservative were your clientele to start with? This is brand new. You know, And Australian companies aren't known to being straight away, I'm going to accept it. They take a long time to come across. I know. Everyone said to me in the first consumers, they'd say, oh, fabulous idea. And I go, could you buy something? No. You know, like that, that, it was <laughs> idea. my mother. I was like, mum, could you buy something? She said, okay, dear, you know, whatever. But what was interesting, because I'd been a marketing consultant and I had some nice clients. So Fuji Xerox was a client of mine and mm-hmm. they came to me and they said, oh, we need a marketing program, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing Red Balloon. Oh, what's that? And they actually became our first corporate client and we ran a sales incentive program for them. And, you know, lo and behold, all these years later, that's what we do, run sales incentive programs. And they, I said to them, I said, well, will you be a case study? And they said, only if you're national. And you're fabulous. So um, in the end, they didn't run it for a quarter. They ran it for eight consecutive quarters because it just kept delivering. And they were promoting the Red Balloon brand to all of their distributors uh, or resellers that they had in their network. So it worked really well. And then American Express approached us 
uh, because of their membership rewards. And they said, hey, you know, this experiences thing, we noticed you're national. I go, thank you. Yes, Fuji Xerox made us go national. They said, we'd like to include you as a redemption item in our rewards catalogue. And I was like, okay, yep, fabulous, thank you. And we very much grew with American Express. And the third one was Optus. I, I um, you know, our revenues were nothing, like $5,000 a month or something. And... I chose to do a corporate gift show, which cost $15,000, and had a big fight with my husband who's like, do you know how much money that is, blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, whatever. And having come from Apple, I knew I had to be fabulous. So I um, so I did this trade show and this guy from Optus came up to me and I took his card and, and you know, I followed up every single lead. And I go, oh, you know, I saw met you at the trade show, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I passed your card on to our HR department. And, of course, you know, in that moment you just go, God, all right, there it goes, no problem. <laughs> anyway, I get this uh, either call or an email, I can't remember, from Optus uh, HR and they said, can you come and speak to us? We've got a length of service program. And in a pop, uh, and I'm reading upside down, as you do when you're in sales, and they said, oh, we wanted backdate all of our length of service awards and we want, you know, a red, bronze, silver and a gold and for our 10, 15 and 20-year club. And they said to me, they said, do you have a business in New Zealand? I said, not now, but we will by Christmas. (laughs) So then we opened up in New Zealand and I got the order, which was, you the really, first you really order did. was hundreds of thousands and then they bought from us every single month and we would have these beautiful experience vouchers arrive with balloons on the day of the person's anniversary. And um, I went back to them when we did the quarterly review and said, oh, by the way, send over those New Zealand customers. And they said, oh, no, we don't, we don't have any in New Zealand. I just wanted to know if you had a business in New Zealand. So <laughs> Then we had this, uh, so we have a fabulous uh, New Zealand business as well for all these great sales incentive, lengths of service programs that we still run and Red Balloon for Business is a really, really important part of what we do, which is connecting corporations. We're probably about 3,000 corporate customers, can always have more. Uh, We've probably got about 3,000 programs that either run on an ad hoc or a more formal basis with our points platform and so forth when, when did you actually think i've made it you know you started off and i guess in the lounge room like most people do when did you think actually i'm on the way uh, uh am i supposed to have had that thought <laughs> <laughs> i'm 20 years in and uh you know right now i'm working as hard as i ever have and i guess um I guess what's great for me is as I reflect on a contribution to the economy, mm-hmm. like that is really validating. And one of the reasons I did Shark Tank was about being a role model for all people in business. Um, doesn't matter where they sit, whether they are, you know, kids come up to me and they say, oh, I study commerce because I want to be like you. And uh, I sit on a number of university boards and, you know, that a massive proportion of their undergraduates want to have their own businesses. So it's nice to be a role model for others. It's nice to know because of the the job that we do, uh, not just in Red Balloon, but now we have a broader group at the Big Red Group with other brands in it, that that uh, represents more than 50,000 jobs that we've created in our community. This year we'd hoped to put a billion dollars worth of economic value into community, but that's been slowed down somewhat, but last year we delivered $850 million of economic value into uh, small businesses, regional, rural community, because obviously many of our suppliers were hit very, very hard after summer. So it's we have a very important role to play in our community. Look, everyone so has a good... So what, what does, what's the motivator? Is it the, as you say, is it the community drive and, and a benefit from obviously financially from doing this as well? Is it the fact that it's creative and I get to experiment? Is it the fact that I am I call the shots? What's, what's the big motivator for you? Um, one of my colleagues, who, many of my team, I was didn't have an operational role. And now that we're in lockdown, I decided to go back into our Ribbon for Business. And one of the reasons I chose to do that was because I love listening to customers. What are the challenges that they're facing? 
and designing programs to help them with human behaviours. So whether it's the person who's running webinars and is wanting to incent people to come or whether it's a gift with purchase program whereby an e-card is co-branded and sits within the digital wallet of their consumers to have this brand reinforcement, I'm a marketer. And actually, the best way for me to deal with lockdown is to be a marketer for my clients and my other people's businesses. So I know that some of our business clients are a bit surprised to see me on the phone and see me in these meetings and so forth. But actually, that's where I need to be right now is leading from within. Uh, and also because, of course, I'm not speaking and in the ways that I was. You know, I was on a plane the whole time. Yeah. And so apart from one or two kind of boardroom briefings that we're doing digitally, there's not so so many. Um, but so I'm leading from Dean and I'm t- I've taken an operational role again and I'm sure this, the team is just a bit surprised. <laughs> but one of the pieces of feedback I got, they said, you are relentless and you just don't give up. You know, you always make the extra call. And I go, well, that's what it takes. I don't know how you think that this business grew. It was from sheer hard work. It wasn't just because it seemed like a good idea. Did it grow grow as fast as you anticipated? Um, um, We had a very – so for 10 years the growth was – massive and immense and even through GFC we grew a lot because our experiences are not really that expensive in the scheme of things if you can't go to Fiji take your family on the bridge climb take your family to do an adventure you know a walking tour of the Adelaide market wherever you are we've got amazing experiences and the team's just done an incredible job in creating experiences at home to entertain families as well and to do virtual experiences for team building like the the stuff they've come up with is just amazing so that's really great so um did it grow as fast but after 10 years I stopped being CEO and I no longer had an operational role and I left and became a director and also at that time I went through a separation and my husband had half of the business and we agreed that I would no longer be the CEO and I would go out and do other things, which was actually great after 10 years of living and breathing and doing nothing else but Red Balloon. And then I could be a speaker and I could do write the books and I could be on Shark Tank and I could do other things. But what happened was the external CEO decided that he was going to pivot the business into travel. And if you think about travel, uh, it's very transactional and Red Balloon is all about the brand story. It is all about trust and about when you get one that you feel great and that you can count on it when you give somebody one. And it's it's about the value of the brand. And so um, over a period of time, we just I just watched over three years the business was not going like this anymore it was going like that and then yeah, it started right. going like that and operational expenses were just skyrocketing and I was just like this is ridiculous this is such a good business it doesn't make any sense but my ex-husband wouldn't sell me uh his shares so anyway with business partner new business partner David Anderson we created the big red group I was going to ask you about uh, that go on yeah and one of the reasons we did is because we knew the experience economy was on the rise yep and that people would want more experiences, more real things. They want stories to tell. And businesses want to have emotional connection with their employees and their customers and their stakeholders. So we created the Big Red Group with the view of um, acquiring Red Balloon as well as other experiences, brands and different audiences, and that's what we did. So I bought my own business. And uh, it's in growth again, or it was in growth. We were having beautiful, you know, more than double-digit organic growth like for like. So, yeah, anyway, we'll see what happens. What's the lessons learned on trying to keep the um, that sort of founder's mentality uh, as part of the group DNA? As you say, um, you take time out and then it, it obviously changed. Yeah. Look, I think um, managing a founder can be quite hard. As David says, he says, A, you're relentless. B, you have unending energy. But C, you just don't see process. You know, process is important for scaling a business. 
uh, and you have to do that. So you need different skill sets at some point and systems and processes do allow us to scale uh, and also compliance and governance and all of the things that you really need as a business and that's not my natural strong suit. So having a partner who's the opposite of me in some ways, we have shared values, shared vision, uh, but he has a different skill set altogether and it just really, really works. So I talk a lot about partnerships and, and if you're going into business, choose a partner that is not the same as you choose a partner based on uh, different strengths and different um, uh, technical abilities that you're bringing to the relationship. All right, let me ask you something you are in front of every day, which is your customers. Has their expectations changed much over the last 20 years? Um, Marketing hasn't really changed, but the tools we use have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are using AI tools now to do lots of the grunt work, but good campaigns, creative campaigns are always founded in a good idea that resonates and builds relatedness with audiences. I believe that also businesses are changing and we farm, our contribution is far more important and um, how we engage with our community. And I'm very much of the belief that we have a chance to reset what's important. So when people say to me, what do you think is going to, the world's going to be like in the next five years, I'm, I as a leader am committed to the good life and the good life is the life that is inclusive and is socially aware and sustainable. And um, we at the Big Red Group are all about delivering experiences because we believe that they build human connection, not just from business to business, but people to people. And that that's what is going to be so important to us, local Australian businesses who are able to thrive because we do that. But we need to take everybody on a journey of sustainability and making sure that our footprint is nothing more than what the wind can blow away. We've been given a chance as Winston Churchill said, never waste a good crisis. Yeah. So um, once you know, I picked myself up, dusted myself off, I see a big opportunity. And my job is to influence that as well. Um, so I do see that what is important to businesses has changed. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is because we've been around now for 20 years, people trust us. They just know we're just going to be here. So um, all, all good there. What's the competition look like? Our competition for us has really kind of stayed the same in the sense it's I always thought it was the thoughtless gift, Uh, you know, the dead flowers from the local corner store uh, or something uh, or the the gift card, you know, the Visa gift card, which you may as well just give them cash. So I always think the competition is actually when people just don't really make that thought. Gifting is very important for us culturally. Uh, It's a moment to honour and respect somebody. And, you know, Mother's Day is going to be really, really important this year on the 10th of May. Um, Me personally, and I'll try not to get upset, but me personally, I won't get to see my kids and I won't get to see my parents. So it's going to be virtual. And it's really important that we don't forget. I wish I hadn't have said I won't get upset because then I got upset. But I, it's really hard. And, and, you know, for the parents who are homeschooling, trying to give love and attention to their children as well as fulfil on their obligations as a professional, it's wonderful to see that people out being fit together and playing together. But this year, Mother's Day is just really important. And this is the moments where we're reminded to say thank you and we're reminded that relationships need to be honoured. And actually, I, you know, I did this um, poll on LinkedIn because I just didn't want to get consumer sentiment wrong. And almost everybody said they're going to be celebrating it virtually. And almost everybody said, Mum will say, no, no, dear, you know, I don't need anything. And almost all of them said um, what they're looking most forward to is spending time together. 
So that's, you know, and that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. Gifting is very important in our community and we're so busy racing around sometimes we don't realise the impact it has. Everybody's been given the worst gift on the planet and we remember it really clearly how inappropriate it was when you busted a gut at work and they gave you a candle. You know, you're just like, really? Very true. So if I was to do something for my mother this Mother's Day and I was to go onto your website, what would you recommend? Well, at Red Balloon, they, we have an at-home range right there on the home page. And there's two things you can do with at-home. There's one is have an experience delivered to mum, maybe high tea, for instance. That's a nice one. So we've, we've worked with our supply community to make sure that we've got experiences that can go to home that then you can actually share virtually together. So you can do it by the Zoom or via, do you like how I say the Zoom? Yeah, that proves I'm a mother because <laughs> mothers do Zoomings and... <laughs> I thought I'd do every single video app and they still keep coming, you know. Um, So there's experiences that you can share online with mum, whether it's escape room, a mystery, you know, doing one of those or whether it's a magic thing you can do together. So that's fun. Uh, And then there's a whole bunch of actual virtual experiences you can do together. And then the other thing is just to do something, book something for into the future because all of our vouchers, we just keep pushing it out and making sure that every single voucher when we come out of lockdown is valid for three years. We want, we need people to go out into our community and spend those vouchers out there. And just on that, you have aspirations of what serving, I think I read an experience every second, is that correct? Somewhere on the earth by 2025. 2030. 2030, is it now? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) We were just doing so incredibly well. When we came back into the business, we were serving an experience every two and a half minutes. Wow. And in December, we got it to every 14 seconds. So that growth, as I said, but some of that growth has come through acquisition of different brands. Yep. But um, right now, we're just not. And um, I am really pleased that our customers are still buying from us. Our corporate customers believe in us. They believe in what we're doing of shifting the way people experience life sustainably so we know it will come back and uh, we just want to make sure that uh, we're here but our suppliers are here and so that's why job keepers has been so important for us is so that when we do come back all of our fabulous small businesses have got something to come back to are you getting are you making the best of this opportunity really going back to your customers because in a crisis that's you know isn't it's nice to hear from a, a good client once in a while yeah, I, I as I said, I'm talking to customers every single day, which I didn't used to do, and that's really interesting is to understand their businesses and and um, what we can do to support them. But also, I'm being on the front foot as much as I can with my um, my thought leadership and yep. what I'm seeing and understanding. I was to host a leadership tour to San Francisco on the future of work and we had to cancel it. And it was the most incredible program at Stanford University and Google and Facebook and lots of them and Salesforce and lots of amazing um, vendors, big ones and small ones. Well, the future of work happened. And so people are really interested to know how uh, we are navigating it, how we're keeping people connected, what it looks like, how we're supporting our people. And I can only say that we are just being as transparent as we possibly can um, I wish I had a crystal ball because then I could make a plan. If I knew this was three months or six months or two months, or then I would make a plan based on that, but I can't. And so that's the most challenging, I think, for most business leaders. But in some regard, have, have we accelerated the future of work through this process? Oh, yeah, it's here. It's done. People will not go back to working in the same way. And, look, I'm going to tell tales out of school now because I'm sure, you know, it'll be okay But one of the reasons that we went into a co-working space, which was Gravity, when we went there, run by an Australian woman, it was her business, and she sold it to WeWork. And one of the reasons we went there is because we knew we had a plan for acquisition. We didn't know how big we were going to be. So it makes sense. Take a floor in Gravity. She got got a consistent tenant. It was really great. Well, WeWork came and bought it and then, you know, passed the contract to them. And then WeWork comes to us like, I don't know, after this is going on, and says, oh, we're putting your rent up from $500 a seat to $850. Yeah, right. And we said, oi, have you not seen anything in the press lately? Mm, life's not good for businesses. And they said, no, nah, we're holding you to it from $500 to $850. And so we're just like, we're out. We're done. We yeah. can't do that. And, yeah. of course, it's a membership thing, so we can do that. 
But people who are locked in uh, to leases is, is very difficult because moving forward, we've got people who travel from all over this very, very large city and people's time is far more valuable and people are learning to do different things with their commute. So I can imagine a world where we have a co-working space up on the northern beaches, one in the southern God's country, one in the west, you know, and that we've got these hubs and then we only bring the whole team together or teams come together for certain times. I just don't think we are going to go back to the habits of sitting on a bus to get to work. I just think we are going to learn to work differently and more effectively. And how are you going to change as a leader? Because I agree and disagree in some of that because I also think work is very, very social. I understand where you're coming from. A lot of people have said that. But also a lot of people are also starting to say, I look at the average company in Australia, uh, pretty heavy, pretty fat, uh, pretty sluggish, pretty slow for all the discussion around Agile. It would be nice to get into more more a, a focused executive team or, or people of uh, decision-making capability to get on with it and cut through and let's get some decisions made because at the end of the day, from, from thinking to getting to our customer, it's just too slow. and We're going to get left behind. So I, how are you going to change as a leader? Uh, look, there's a few things that you've said there. Is One, how do we connect people when they're not connected? And we are absolutely using technology in that. And our Ready Points platform that we sell is very much a part of that. And that integrates into our Teams product, the Microsoft program, so that people are being recognised and can see each other's work. Mm-hmm. And so if I look at the three elements of what I'm looking for or what my role is as a leader right now, it's about emotional resilience. That is, are my people safe? That's the first one. And that has so many different aspects to it. I won't go into it. It's not just financially safe. It's physically safe. It's workspace safe at home. But are they safe? The second one is um, is about do they belong? And creating belonging when you don't get to see people. And so we've just got a completely different rhythm where I literally drop into various team meetings for three minutes at the beginning of their kickoff when I just go, hey, this is what we discussed in our leadership team this morning. Is there anything that I need to know right now? Great, keep going. Thank you so much. And they're loving that real connection. In fact, I'm far more connected with people in our business right now than I've been in a very long time because I didn't have an operation role. And then the third one is does my work matter? And that's where the recognition piece is really important. And it's also where we show people the impact of the work that they're doing. So we're able to demonstrate that if you buy a balloon voucher, we know $300 to community. I mentioned that before. Yes. But then we also know that people are likely to spend on transport, a dinner, buy some wine if they're up at the Hunter Valley, another $700. So because of the work you do, $1,000 will end up in community. And so when you're able to show people the impact of their work on keeping Australians safe, keeping Australians employed, um, buying local, then their work matters. Yeah, right. And as I said, the piece that we're adding on to that is the sustainability piece so that we don't leave anything other than our footprints. And that's, that is the next piece of my work matters. I've made the world a better place because of the work I do. And that's my responsibility as a leader and David as the CEO, as the group CEO. Let me ask you about entrepreneurship. What makes... When you first started out and you know, had your first couple of pitches, what makes an excellent pitch? Now, from the beginning of when you started out to, I don't know, the telephone call tomorrow or the yeah. Zoom tomorrow. I, you know, of course, I've seen literally hundreds of pitches, good ones, bad ones, ones that are sublime, some that are ridiculous. Um, a great pitch is always the one that remembers who you are pitching to. And, you know, if you think about the word pitch, which has probably come from baseball, you don't keep serving up the same ball that you like to serve. You serve the ball that is going to be the hardest or the most difficult for that person to receive. So you've got to think about who you're pitching to and what is it that will connect with them. And so the best pitches are the ones that have, A, done the work and done the research, but B, are asking the questions of how does this connect? 
The other fundamental thing I always look for in a pitch is what is the job you're being hired to do? Yeah, good one. Because if you, you know, that's the that Harvard thing. But if if you think about hired, it means that somebody will pay for it, which is what commerce is all about. And if you think about um, being the job, the job is not, oh, experience vouchers. The job is to build emotional connection for brands. The job is to make people feel good. And that's the job. So, um, yeah, anyway, I guess as a leader and, and in looking at pitches and so when I get on the phone to my customers and clients, I just ask them a million questions, which might sound um, because sometimes we don't have anything for them and I'd rather not waste their time, you know. If they think they want one thing, maybe we are good at that, maybe we're not. I'll, if I ask the questions, it's better to walk away than trying to, you know, create a purse out of a sow's ear, isn't that what they say? Yeah, very true. When, when did you decide to put all the focus or a lot of the focus into Naomi's brand? I didn't mean to at all. In fact, the way it happened was um, as you know, I was a mum with small kids running a business and I didn't know the first thing about online or anything else. So I had to learn a lot and I had to learn really quickly. And I, other business people would recommend things. I'd go to conferences and seminars. But my brain was so busy, I had to write it down. And so uh, one of my strengths is input. I'm a collector of things. So I collect information. And so I started just writing a blog and somebody, somebody said, why don't you write your notes up and just put it in a blog and then you can share with others. And that's where it started. It was not deliberate. It was about I've learned a lot. I'm happy to share it with others. I'll put it here. And then because of that blog, uh, LinkedIn, when they were opening their influencer program, I was considered, you know, Australia's thought leader and I had this blog for years and years and they liked what I was writing so they invited me to be a part of that. And now I think I'm just about to pass 3 million people who read my stuff on LinkedIn. And because of LinkedIn and this, you know, then the producers of Shark Tank looked at me and they go, so maybe she just must know something, let's ask her. And so it kind of went on. It wasn't deliberate. And so when I see people talking about personal branding and I want this and want that, I just say, hey, guys, it's just what they call reputation. It's really old school, really old school. How do other people talk about you? What value did you deliver to this human race and how did you contribute to others? So, um, yeah, it was not deliberate and yet people think it was deliberate and the whole red dress thing and everything, Yep, not wearing it today, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was also just it's just a uniform. It made it easy for me, and it meant that people go, "Oh, that's the red lady. Oh, we know about her. We it's like they can put me in a box." But that's smart, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was getting confused with Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg, and going one wore the black skippy the whole time, the other one wore the hoodie the whole time. So right. you know, if those blokes can do it, and Obama wore the same suit and same tie every single day, those blokes can do it. I can do it too. Where's the confidence come from? What confidence? <laughs> okay. um, one of my... Um, well, is there confidence or bravado? No, it's not. One of my strengths is self-assurance, which never surprises anybody. And another one is positivity. And I've always seen the glasses half full and it doesn't occur to me that it might even get empty. So I could be an absolute right royal pain, though, because when the world's coming to an end, I'm like, wow, we could do this, you know, and people just so um, as long as I get my sleep, this is just who I am and how I am. And I have always been like this. My mother said that I was born laughing and have never stopped, just the way I made. Has the world ever come crashing in? Oh, yeah, for the first two weeks of this lockdown, I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, 20 years of my work, what's going on? And then once I realised, A, I couldn't control it, so let's not worry about the things you can't control, and B, we have a big role to play in the reconstruction of our community and services, um, the service sector, tourism and so forth, with our local suppliers, I'm absolutely, and that's when I was like, right, I need to help my clients because if I help my clients, I'm helping my supplier community. Okay. 
decisions. You make decisions easy? Yeah. A lot of people can't. Yeah, I don't understand that. You just either do or you don't. And when you just choose, it doesn't matter. You just have to choose. And I think my most precious asset is my time and where I spend my time because I can never get those hours back. And that's the thing I do get the grumpiest with is when I waste my time or other people waste my time. Yeah. That's really bothers me. What about you talked about data, you talked about AI and, and marketing's become a little bit more sophisticated, but in many regards you said it hasn't changed. How much do you put down the gut instinct when you make your calls? One thing I know is it's not about personal opinion and there's a difference between gut and personal opinion. And I learned this years and years ago when I was at ANSET, Sir Peter Abel's owned the airline and they've been a pilot's dispute and I was in marketing and the most important thing to sell was schedule in those days. You know, we've got, so the agency, Campaign Palace, very clever agency, came up with a campaign and said, if you've got a dash, we've got the dots. And they had this schedule with dots in it. And it was really funny. It was just a newspaper ad. If you've got a dash, we've got the dots. And that ad went up to Sir Peter Abel's because he approved everything. And it came back and he said, oh, I didn't really understand it. So I said, well, if you've got to go, we've got the dots. And then I was like, Okay, great example of management by committee, great idea, being watered down. So I guess I've since that moment I've always respected creatives yeah, or right. respected professionals. And um and I also always look at it from the point of view of different customer groups. Is it inclusive? Does it represent all? You know, and so I, I, that is an innate skill I know and people are surprised that I always, always talk on behalf of the customer. What about surrounding yourself by the very best people? Has that improved? Has that changed? What are you looking for in sense of individuals to join you? We've got a wonderful uh, leadership team. We're very committed and we've been together for quite some time now, like a couple of years, and um, we have a good laugh together and all of them are just incredible at what they do. Um and so I think for me, it's about trust. And when trust is broken, it's it's done. And I only ask one thing of the people around me. If you say you're going to do something, just do it. And if you can't get it done because it was out of your control, well, then make sure you come back and let me know. It is the one thing for me that I can't get over. If I give my word to something, I just do it. I just do it. And that's what people know of me is when I commit, I really commit, which means I don't give my word lightly. And so I would rather people said, no, I cannot get this done, than tell me they're going to get it done and they don't. And that's my absolute mantra, always has been in terms of working with me and working around me. Just it doesn't work otherwise. And if you don't challenge people for greatness, especially now, well, when are you going to? Well, talk us through that. So you had the experience as an entrepreneur. You've been on Shark Tank where you're looking at younger entrepreneurs giving their best shot. What's the feeling out there from, you know, from your career in general in Australia, the courage, the conviction, the entrepreneur spirit? Do we have it? Yeah. In fact, I think incredible innovations are going to come out of uh, lockdown and um, having our borders closed. I think that we will find new ways of doing business and, We'll be highly inventive. We always have been. Uh, Some of the world's greatest inventions have come from Australia out of ingenuity. So I have no doubt that we will see um, our entrepreneurial drive shine through as soon as they let us out the house. (laughs) So, uh, And people will find opportunities that they just... I've never, never knew were possible. I guess one of the reasons why I wrote that book, Ready to Soar, mm. uh, is because I've seen so many pictures and not everybody is actually made to be an entrepreneur. Lots and lots of people have ideas, but they've yep. got no idea how to execute. And so I wrote that book to help people understand, am I meant to be an entrepreneur? Like, for me, I was not meant to be in corporate life. I found it frustrating because I was, I'm always do, 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 go, go, go. I was made for this life. But some people, they need the security of an HR department, at IT tech support of a whatever expense account. They're not made for the entrepreneurial life. 
That's why I wrote that book. You're going to have the best ideas in the world, but it doesn't mean that you're meant to be an entrepreneur. And I think we have to look at that when we look at startup community and who we're backing. It's not about the idea. It's about, you know, some of the worst ideas make a fortune Mm. because they're run by really good leaders who have a clear sense of purpose and surround themselves with incredible people. And very good marketing sometimes too. Yeah. It's all all about the spin. Yeah. What's a normal day look like at the moment for you? A normal day? Hmm. Uh, actually, I'm getting fit uh, and I'm cooking a lot and, as I said, I'm painting. And then I have my stand-ups with the team, as I said. I pop in and pop out and I do all of those while I'm walking. So the dog, poor thing, his legs are getting shorter as he walks and walks and walks and walks um, and he's like, really, Mum, you know, I thought I wanted you at home but now I'm walking so much. Um, and I'm cooking. I decided this year I'd just give being a vegan a crack and uh, seeing what that was like, part of our, you know, sustainability and looking at the planet and things and just to do something without judgment because I could and I could make that choice. And what's that meant for me is that I am cooking foods that I've never cooked before and I'm learning new things. And everyone says, well, how's Stu, you know, my gorgeous husband? And I go, hey, don't worry. He finds a way of getting to the butcher. It's fine. It's okay. So he's fine. So I do like trying new things, and that's what I've set myself as this task for while I can't see my family. I, you know, play games with my friends virtually. I still walk with my friends, but um, they're just in the earbuds while we're doing the walk and yeah. chat, chat, chatting. So, you know, I'm still very much uh, connected, even though we're not physically together. And I'm fit fitter than I've ever been and I'm doing meditation and other things which is so good for your headspace. Well I'm going to ask you because as an entrepreneur you've got to always try to stay or be ahead of the competition. Where, where do you actually make the time to think? Because a lot of people don't seriously think, they follow. Yeah and a lot of people do. One of the things I've really noticed is people often think if they're answering their emails they're working and that's not work. That's other people's to-do lists. So um, with my teams that I'm now running, I'm literally saying how are you going to move the day forward today because I want them to have a sense of achievement and accomplishment. And in these times, it is command and execute. It's not it's a different sort of leadership that is required now and it helps people feel safe. It's not about let's just shoot breeze and see what comes out. So having time to do that creative, okay, now we're going to brainstorm. That is the requirement of this particular gathering is brainstorming. Great. Uh, For instance, brainstorming new experiences, you know, delivering people red jelly beans and red cordial to get them really started on new ideas. Uh, You know, so we can do that. And that's brainstorming and a dedicated activity versus now is the time for understanding process or systems. And I think making sure every meeting has an agenda and don't have them for the sake of them. And you can have a three-minute meeting, which is just a quick check-in and and check out. But I, I need deep thinking time. I need time to write. And I find that that tends to be about 6 a.m. in the morning. Is that right? And then, I, I, yeah. and then at 7.30, then I'll go for a walk, do some yoga, have my workout then do um, calls. So I do work before I even start my workout and that's my time for writing and being creative. Do you um, do you see a number of acquisitions coming your way? Maybe. <laughs> that's well, – well, let's talk us through some of the big opportunities. Now, as you say, you get the chance to do the yoga, go for your walk, but where's these opportunities? No. I said no to David on that one. That's actually not funny, is it? Um, There is a lot of opportunity going to arise. And actually, it's not just that it's opportunity, it's that there's safety in numbers. And we've said this before when we made the acquisition of Lime and Tonic and Adrenaline, um, that there comes a point in a business where unless you are of serious size, you cannot keep investing in technology and systems. And if you're not getting growth, you can't get a capital investment or injection. So actually there will be consolidation and that's that's about, about Australia being more competitive and I do see that we will continue to kind of roll up uh, experience audiences and experiences. It just makes sense because we're of the scale that it would work mm-hmm. and we've got the systems and the processes to be able to execute in different brands. And how far offshore will you go? 
Well, if we're going to do one a second, who knows? Mm-mm. Watch this space. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, look, if you look at um, previous big changes, World War One, we had the change of the, the class system. Oh, World- I remember it well. <laughs> World War Two, we had what? The change of the dynamics of women going into the workforce. Mm-hmm. We've got this big one here. Where do you see the play there for women? I'm a bit worried, actually, about um, – I'm a bit worried. Have we got enough uh, women leaders on the reconstruction uh, program? Um, I, I'm i just worried that I, – I saw this little meme and it was just – and it's just the way it happens. Go and ask your mother, you know, at, while mum's working. And just that mum's work is important too and – we need mums to be role models. One of the big things that I say to women and, and when I'm doing these things, please don't ever say I'm bad at maths to your children because then it just stereotypes that women are bad at maths. And I don't care if you're bad at maths or not, just don't say it. Don't say go and ask your father, he's good at maths, I'm bad at it because then you've just stereotyped. So that's the challenge that I think that we have is that old stereotypes really continue and and that's worries me just socially when we'd moved so far ahead so far um but you know when mum knocks off work is mum the one preparing the meal or is everyone preparing it together you know is mum cleaning the house and yelling at the kids blah 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 I don't know but it it takes it takes a you know village to raise a family and I'm concerned about uh, and obviously, I'm very concerned about domestic violence yeah. and consumption of alcohol. And I, um, there's a whole piece of work being done by the chief executive women on the impact of community. And when there's financial stress, it's, yeah. So I'm worried about that. And I think we just have to continue to be advocates and voices and role models and uh, challenge establishment to make sure that we do have equal voice. Um, Everywhere. Are we going to see you going back to the the role as as you say the ambassador, appearing on TV regularly, doing a lot more speeches, or is this is this more of a focus for the next five ten years and really building this business up? If my career as an artist doesn't take off, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I could just go into a new career, uh, be Mrs. Naomi Simpson, the uh, the artist. Um, Look, I'm not quite sure. I've never been one to keep my mouth shut. I think we need to have people who are prepared to stand up. Because I work in private enterprise, David and I own our own businesses. We've always been self-funded. We're well supported by the Commonwealth Bank who really do look after businesses and they really get the fact that we support a whole ecosystem. So because of that, we are in the fortunate position, and I particularly am, to be a role model, to agitate for change, to be a voice, to stand up and, you know, get shot down. In terms of whether, what media and avenues that will take, I don't really know, but I'm always one to to say it how it is, and I'm happy to keep doing that. I think it's important that we have people who be prepared to stand up. And if you're going to say it as it is, and we had the telephone here or the telephone over there and on the other side of the screen, and you're going to call the Prime Minister, what would you tell him straight? Got it from marketing. All the above. What would you say to him? <laughs> well, he can improve the marketing, I think. Yeah, I just I just laughed at how our kids call him Scotty from marketing. And I think that's funny because I'm a marketing professional. So I'm like, yeah, you go, Scotty. You're Scotty from marketing, just like me. I'm from marketing too. Um Look, you know what I would I say, like hey, he to the Prime Minister, if I was to call him, I'd say good on you. You know, one is keeping it real and being Australian and nationalism will be on the rise. Yeah. I think they're doing a lot of incredible things by not increasing the size of government, by using existing infrastructure to distribute So whether it's through the bank, you know, you shouldn't give a loan to a bad business. So use the risk uh, of the of the banks to go through the process to distribute these funds. Same as job keepers. We know who the employees are. We have the infrastructure. Give it to us, we give it to them. So I think they've been really 
uh, clever in not increasing the size of government. I also think he's been really clever in uh, creating the NCCC, which is the Recovery Commission, uh, and the sorts of business people that he's putting on there because he knows he'll need entrepreneurial thinking uh, to, to get a really good recovery and that Australia will end up better, stronger. We are going to go probably through a U-shape and um, the recession will be probably longer and different than we've ever known before because it's coupled with fear. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think he's done a really good job on keeping his uh, premiers close with the nightly national uh, roundtable. I think that on a leadership stance, I just think, you know, good on him. And also, quite frankly, we are in this together and it's going to take all of us to get to the other side, everybody's contribution. So, um, you know, the only thing I would say is I'm happy to be an advisor, particularly on the area of small business, and um, and I would put my hand up for that job. You been tapped yet? No. Nah. Well, that's about it's time. It's too noisy. <laughs> it's about time then. <laughs> um, did you ever have any mentors in your life? Um, I had a lot of role models. Um, Lindsay Catamol was one of those who, and she's the founder of Aspect Computing, and she just never knew. My mum worked for her uh, as a business analyst. My mum worked in computing for her whole career. And so my mum used to drag me across to her work events. She just never really knew. And my mum said to me, oh, you know, Lindsay can do it, you can do it. So I I had good positive uh, role models in my life. And for me, mentors have been about the person that I ask the right question to when I just don't quite know what the answer needs to be, not necessarily people who've held my hand the whole way. So do you bounce things around a lot? I'm very lucky. I have a great business partner and we talk incessantly and we both read and we consume um, business content, leadership, uh, TED Talks, and then we talk. So we are a brain's trust for each other and our leadership team. So we have a really lovely kind of uh, intellectual conversations which challenges us to greatness. It's really good. Anything in particular you're, um, you're reading at the moment which is worthwhile to pick up? Well, we're very interested in the McKinsey model of recovery, the five R's, yes. as we call that. Yep. Um, and... And I think that that's going to be really interesting. And the one R that we don't think is in there that we are looking at as well, which is just our appetite for risk when there's so many unknowns. So that to us is the sixth R. I think that's the biggest R out there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Naomi, also with Mother's Day coming up, what is a mother to you? What are the key principles is the first part? And secondly, how did you do it? Oh, how did I do it? I'm not quite sure. In fact, I found a video on YouTube of my son 10 years ago when he was a little fella uh, cooking his own dinner, and that was baked beans. And he has brought himself up very nicely. So uh, my kids have, uh, uh, you know, they say, Mum, where's the iron? I say, I don't know if we have one. There must be one there somewhere. Why don't we just buy clothes that don't require ironing? You know, um, so I'm very practical. But... You know, they would say, where's my school uniform? And I'd say, I don't know, wherever you left it. So they did bring themselves up nicely. They're beautiful children. They're adults now. I shouldn't say children. They've got their own big careers. Uh, My daughter uh, graduated as a mathematician and she's a data scientist. Uh, Actually, she's working. Her client is in Canberra and it's very important work that she's doing. And uh, my son is a farmer. And uh, he's producing uh, food in Western Victoria and he's uh, finishing in another degree in agriculture. So, you know, they both found their own calling, raised in the city and um, they're both doing their own thing. And uh, my husband's boys as well are completely on their own journey, gorgeous kids, one's in health science and one was working for Tesla. So they're very different. Um, so what I would say, especially to mums, is give yourself a break. It, stop beating yourself up. Life for me was never perfect. It was a blur and I just muddled myself through, but they, I kept them safe and they managed to find some food for themselves and they're fine. So I think we have this notion of being the perfect parent. Once you realise there is no perfect and you just give it up and every day you just approach with a, let me be present in their life, 
let me put away the mobile phone, let me play a game with them and be in their lives, then you will be okay. But I see too many parents beating themselves up because they haven't done that everything. It's okay. Mother's Day is important and I've spoken about that. And um, what mum really wants is to spend time with you. That's what every mum wants is to be important in their kid's life. And no, it doesn't matter what age the mum is and doesn't matter what age the child is. So plan to do something with your mum on Mother's Day and um, and share it with us. So, uh, yeah, you know, as I say to people, for 20 years I've been bringing people together and to get to the other side we're going to have to come together and work as a community to make sure we build the Australia we want for the future of all Australians. And the building block begins with Mum's, Mum's Day, doesn't it? It starts with Mother's Day. Mothers and all parents, but mums are the backbone of our country. If you were to look back, say, 20, 30 years ago when you're starting out in this big adventure and you walked out of corporate life, what advice would you give yourself now? What would you have changed? Oh, my goodness, it's such a good question. Um, And I'll tell you why, because I was asked that question by LinkedIn because I write for them. And a blog post is usually about 600 words. 6,000 words, I thought I had a problem. And then so I spoke to a friend of mine who's a publisher. I said, oh, they asked me, what would I tell my younger self? And I've written 6,000 words. And she said, just keep going. If you get to 80,000, we've got a book. And so that's where my book, Live What You Love, which still sells off the shelf, came from, uh, of what would I tell my younger self? And the first thing I would tell myself is to breathe. We are human, we're resilient, and there will be another side. So just to breathe is really important and to try and look at things from a different viewpoint. And uh, so, yeah, I wrote Live What You Love for exactly that reason. Well, on that terrific note, Naomi, thank you very much for joining us today. And from, from all of us, happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. You've been listening to No Limitations. 